Listener Production. From like five years to 18 years old. So we have children as young as 10, for example, using machetes to chop the beans off the trees. We've got them using agrochemicals without proper PPE. Children who get sick and sometimes even need to be hospitalised because of that practice. I hope that bit of information doesn't ruin your Easter, but it's worth knowing that some of the practices in the chocolate industry are pretty concerning, particularly child labour in Africa, where most of the world's cocoa comes from. I had no idea that children as young as five were working on cocoa farms. In this episode of The Briefing, we're going to speak to the man you heard there, the research director of the Chocolate Scorecard. It rates the ethics and sustainability of some of the world's biggest chocolate brands. And we'll find out which big chocolate brand has actually stopped cooperating with the scorecard. First, here are the big stories making news today from the Listener Newsroom. Thanks, Tom. We'll start this one off with some Easter news this Good Friday. So it may be the day of rest for retailers, but the Easter exodus will continue. Sydney and Gold Coast remain the hotspot destinations for travellers with airports predicting record queues. Now, Sydney is anticipating 2.4 million passengers through its terminals throughout the holidays. Brisbane is expecting 1.4 mil, while Adelaide is forecasting 30,000 a day for much of April. Well, we spoke with Jim Parashosh from Melbourne Airport, and he's expecting numbers in the millions too. 20 days between the 5th and the 25th of April, we're expecting more than 2.1 million passengers through four of uh, our terminals, uh, which will be 95% of uh, passengers compared to 2019. Now this Easter, you might be heading off camping, but the East Coast is bracing for bad weather. Miriam Bradbury from the Weather Bureau is warning of wild winds, severe thunderstorms and heavy rain for Melbourne, Sydney and southeast Queensland. These storms could become severe, producing heavy rainfall that may lead to flash flooding, damaging wind gusts that could bring down trees or power lines. Meantime, a destructive cyclone is forecast to form over Western Australia in the coming days, predicted to make landfall next week. Now, the Easter long weekend is tragically typically one of the worst times of the year on our roads, with police out in force for the busy holiday period. We spoke with Sam Childwood from Car Sales, and he has five tips to be safe while behind the wheel. Number one is to plan ahead and don't rush. Uh, Minimise distractions. Don't drive when you're normally sleeping. And also perform a really quick vehicle checklist. Turning to some non-Easter news now and prominent Liberal MP Cam White says the decision was tough to quit the party in protest to Peter Dutton's no stance on the voice to Parliament. Meantime, there's even more criticism of the federal opposition over its stance on the voice to Parliament. Liberal MPs have chosen to back an alternative plan at a local and regional level rather than the current model. Professor Marsha Langton has told ABC 7.30 opposition leader Peter Dutton is out of step after calling it a Canberra voice. He couldn't be further from the truth and I, I deeply resent that deceitful opinion that he's expressed. Overseas now, Stormy Daniels has made an unexpected admission revealing Donald Trump shouldn't be jailed if found convicted. The former US president is facing 34 criminal charges relating to an alleged scheme designed to cover up a sex scandal during the 2016 election. Daniels is one of the two women who were paid hush money and has vowed to testify. Stormy Daniels appeared on UK TV overnight saying she has nothing to hide. Having them call me in and put me on the stand... Mm legitimizes my story and who I am. And if they don't, it almost feels like they're hiding me and people will automatically assume I would mm. that, oh, that she must not 
be a good witness. She's not credible. Almost a fortnight on demonstrations continue in Paris. Smoke bombs have been set off as people protest against the government lifting the retirement age. Protesters even storming the office of investment firm BlackRock, chanting, waving flags and holding flares. <laughs> That audio thanks to CNN. Now, you might be wondering, where was the French president during this time? Well, he's met with his Chinese counterpart overnight. Emmanuel Macron has urged Beijing's leader to help stop the Russian war in Ukraine. He's asked Xi Jinping to bring Russia to its senses and bring everyone back to the negotiating table. And no, this last one is not a joke. Breathtaking images of Uranus have been captured by the James Webb Telescope. The details show off the planet's rings, clouds and polar cap. All right, let's talk chocolate. Our guest, John Dumay, is a professor of accounting and finance at Macquarie Uni. He actually never expected his career would become all about chocolate, but he is now the research lead of the Chocolate Scorecard which came out last week just in time for Easter. John, thank you for joining us on The Briefing. Is it safe to say you care a lot about chocolate? I care about it and I love to eat it too. (laughs) (laughs) So Easter's a special time, I imagine. Yeah, Easter's a very special time. It's a a good time for family and friends to get together and, of course, to share uh, delicious chocolate treats with each other. Mm, Okay, so you take your chocolate pretty seriously. Um, Sounds like you take eating it seriously, but also looking at the process of how it's made and the ethics and sustainability of that. Tell us where this whole journey started for you because you're an accounting academic. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. But you've ended up spending now your full-time workload on chocolate. Mm. So how did this begin? Well, it began uh, back in International Women's Day in 2016 when I read an article in the Sydney Morning Herald and uh, from Nestle, it's about them going into Africa and trying to actually improve the lives of women who are actually working basically under poverty producing chocolate. And that story was actually uh, funded by Nestle. They sent the editor over there to write the story. So I thought this is a bit of an issue with a a company basically paying to have themselves put in the news to make themselves look good. So that article pissed you off? Absolutely pissed me off. I was not happy. So what did you do next? What did you investigate? Um, started a study about Nestle. Um, at that time, issues like child labor and uh, forced labor were very predominant in the chocolate industry. So we did an investigation of Nestle's reporting practices around that. And, you know, they were actually doing some things up front, which were actually quite good. Um, but about 70% of what they're doing was still unknown. So uh, what we did is we wrote that article, got it published in a very good academic journal. Uh, our Lighthouse uh, website at Macquarie University picked up on it, did a press release, got out in the press. And then we met uh, Fuzz and Carolyn Kiddo from Be Slavery Free, who are the producers of the Chocolate Scorecard. And then we decided to get together and collaborate and make the scorecard a bigger and better thing. Right. So you've brought a whole other level of research to the chocolate scorecard over the last two years. It's been running for four years, but now it includes a lot more quality information about what's really going on with our chocolate. So from now back to when you first started looking into Nestle and what they were doing in Africa, what were the most alarming things, the most concerning things that you found in the chocolate industry? Well, the most concerning thing really in the chocolate industry is child labor and a living income. 
to pay the farmers a living income or pay them enough for their product so that they don't have to employ children or engage with other dodgy working practices um, is really important. So I think we really have, have to help solve those two major issues. So how young were these kids working on chocolate farms? Um, from like five years to 18 years old, so a full range. Five years old? So, yeah, well, basically you, you have children. Um, they're generally the, the children of the farmers. They're not uh, brought in by other means. It's common for children to work on the farms and help out, do the chores and that type mm. of thing. But the real issue is the, the danger of that work. So we have children as young as 10, for example, using machetes to chop the beans off the trees. We've got them using agrochemicals, you know, the use of agrochemicals without proper PPE. Um, then we have children who get sick and sometimes even need to be hospitalized because of that practice. So where's that been happening? That's been happening in Africa. Uh, so this is Ivory Coast and Ghana, and that's where the main uh, cocoa-producing areas of the world are. They produce basically 60%, 70% of the bulk cocoa that goes in the chocolate you buy in your supermarket today. So a big problem is children as young as five working on these farms. Mm -hmm. What other things concern you? Well, the living income is the main thing. So the price of cocoa is really low. Um, so we basically have about five or six major companies that control the cocoa market. So it's their best interest really to buy as much cocoa products for as cheaply as they can. Mm. Um, so that flows down into the farms. What happens is that the farmer can't have a living income, which is different to even being in, in poverty. So a lot of the farmers still actually work below the, the extreme poverty line. So they're not making enough money. So if they're not making enough money, they're taking shortcuts and can employ labor and so forth. Is this changing? I mean, how has sort of applying more scrutiny to these, these chocolate producers changed things? Is it improving the lives of these farmers? I believe it is. Um, there, there are lots of things that are doing that. I guess from our point of view, for what we do, for example, we talk to the companies. Um, so last night we had three calls. We had we talked to Marks and Spencers in, in the UK as a retailer. We actually had a conversation with Nestle last night. And my colleagues also talked to Godiva last night. And we've got about 25 more of these uh, sessions to do as well. Wow. So they're coming to you to talk about what they can do better. Yes, absolutely. And what are you telling them? Well, we're giving them honest feedback on what their performance is. So the companies are concerned about living income. They're concerned about child labor, um, especially because it's a, a very newsworthy. They want to have a good reputation in the marketplace. If, uh, you know, if there's child labor in their supply chains, that could be very embarrassing for them. And people, if they know that, might not want to buy their products. Okay. So um, a lot of people might have already bought their Easter eggs, but maybe yes. they haven't. <laughs> So, which brands are doing the worst on your scorecard? I want to say not so much the worst, but the ones that need to improve the most. Okay. okay? So, uh, we have a different attitude. So, we, it's not about name and shame. We are actually about giving companies credit where credit's due. So, for example, Kellogg's. We got them in to participate on the scorecard this year. They've got lots of room for improvement. They know they've got lots of room for improvement. We've been talking to them about that. They've been communicating to us that they want to improve. So when you look at the, the, the bottom list of the scorecard, um, we have two classifications. We got like the red eggs, but also we got the broken eggs. So there are some companies in there, for example, like Mondelez, who do have a cocoa sustainability program, but they just didn't want to participate. So we're trying to encourage them to participate. And companies who end up generally getting a red egg or a rotten egg over the years 
what they do is sometimes that inspires them to change. Okay. So red is the worst. So red's rating. the lowest. Yeah. And and sometimes we classify what we call the rotten eggs as well. Okay. Yeah. So that's off the scale. That's well, that's the the lowest of the low. The reddest of the red, the yeah, most the reddest rotten. of the red. And and basically but you have to give those co- companies credit because they have participated and they want the feedback so that they, they can do better. Okay, so which brands are the best? Which which brands are green? Um, particularly brands that people might know. Well, Nestle is the one out of the big companies that, that scored the highest. Right. Yeah, and so we'll give them credit where credit's due to the, the, the hard work that they're actually doing to improve. We talked about child labour as one of the main concerns and about basically farmers not getting paid enough and mm-hmm. child labour is kind of a, a symptom of that. Yes. What about the environmental factors? What are the biggest concerns there in the chocolate industry? Deforestation is the big one, climate change. So basically they're chopping down the trees because they want to go into the, the rainforests or the national forests and Ivory Coast. Uh, but I think it's about 30% of the deforestation in Ivory Coast is due just to cocoa. Wow. So it's huge. Um, now we're having uh, due diligence law in the EU uh, on deforestation that says companies now have to have the traceability back to the farm gate to ensure that the cocoa isn't grown in a deforested area. If it is, you can't sell it in Europe. Right, okay. Mm. So are we improving on deforestation from the cocoa industry? Is, are we chopping down less forest than we were, say, five years ago when you first started paying attention to this? It's become an, a big, big issue, and yes, there's some transitional change. I was talking with Fuzz Kiddo from Be Slavery Free, who was in um, in Ivory Coast, and he was saying uh, to the farmers, you know, what about deforestation? And the farmers were going, shh, be quiet. Mm. And he thought, well, they're trying to cover it up. And he said, no, you can still hear the caterpillar bulldozers jump, uh, knocking down the trees. Oh, wow. So it's still going on. So how far do you think the industry's come in the five years or so that you've been looking at it? It has improved. If you ask me, has it improved enough? I would say no. I would say there's a long, long way to go, especially in those key areas. Um, and part of the, the re- resolving of that is the traceability. As long as we know where it starts to come from, then we can understand what the issues are. The problem that we have at the moment is about 55% of all the cocoa that's produced in West Africa is untraceable. We don't know exactly where it comes from. Because it's coming from so many small producers? Absolutely. There are millions of producers. It's like a big... Uh, hourglass, you know. Uh, we've got millions and millions of small producers mm. and then we have an industry that's controlled by five or six really major companies. That Okay, so so many supply chains have massive ethical and environmental questions. Why have you focused on, on chocolate? Well, I focus on chocolate because it, it was just like a, a path that took me there. Um, as I said, it started with the, the article, being pissed off, writing a paper and so forth. However, um, I do do other work in, in modern slavery, for example, and sustainability. So sustainability accounting is my, my game of my research. Mm. Um, so we've looked at things like wages underpayment here in Australia, uh, being giving input into the Modern Slavery Act. So we actually had some submissions in the review of the act, which is coming out in, uh, in the next couple of weeks. So I'm a very much active part of what's going on in Australia in research on modern slavery and internationally. So if anyone hasn't bought their chocolate Easter eggs yet, yep. when they walk around the supermarket, if there's any left, yeah. will they see your scorecard or is that something they have to look up themselves? Yeah, they'll have to look up that on the on the website. There's a chocolate scorecard website. You Google search chocolate scorecard, yes, you get yeah, it? Yeah, chocolate scorecard 2023. 
uh, you'll find it quite easily. That was John Dumay, research lead of the Chocolate Scorecard. And I guess the positive thing in that interview is to hear that the industry is improving with more accountability and transparency, but disappointing to hear that one of the leading producers, the owners of Cadbury, are no longer involved in the scorecard. If you are listening to this in the supermarket right now and there are eggs left on the shelf, Google search the chocolate scorecard if you want more information. Happy Easter. Listener.